Howdy, folks, and welcome to the Aggie Wagon Podcast, a place for New Mexico State men's basketball skeptics, fanatics, doubters, and really anyone who likes basketball. I'm your host, Stephen Wagner. Let's shoot the breeze. Guys, welcome back for another episode of the Aggie Wagon Podcast, and let me be the first to say... I hope you guys are getting into the Christmas spirit because crimson and white are pretty jolly colors and NMSU has sort of given its fans a lot to cheer about. But first, I want to go over some really quick headlines from around the conference. Saturday, NMSU and Grand Canyon became the first WAC teams to reach 10 wins and Grand Canyon now has the second highest quality win in the conference after upsetting San Francisco, a team Ken Palm ranks in the top 35. That win is second only to Utah Valley's win over then number 12 BYU for the best quality win of a WAC team of non-conference play. Stephen F. Austin also gave Kansas a scare in Lawrence, only losing by eight to the seventh-ranked Jayhawks, and led at multiple points in the game before KU found a little bit of breathing room late. And NMSU has now won six games in a row, although their last two wins came against Northern New Mexico and UT Permian Basin, which are both Division II opponents. All WAC schools are off from Christmas Eve until December 30th, when 12 of the 13 schools begin conference play, and NMSU heads to Seattle looking for something more than a one or two possession victory against a Division I program, and that is where I want to start today. First off, let's be clear that NMSU is more or less exactly where we pictured they would be in non-conference play. If you looked at the schedule before the season and someone told me that NMSU would be 11-2 heading into conference play, I'd probably say that sounds about right. I probably wouldn't have correctly guessed what the two losses would be, but the overall record is probably pretty close to what most people guessed and expected, or maybe a little bit better than it. But one statistic that really blew me away is New Mexico State, according to Ken Palm, ranks second in the country in luck right now, and Samford is the only team rated luckier than NMSU. And looking at an overall record is more really of an answer to what and not how the question of how a team got to this point because context matters. And in this case, it's relevant because NMSU is an 11 and two team ranked only 103rd by Ken Palm that has quite frankly gotten lucky in a few of these games. And I want to dive into this a little bit. Now, the way Ken Palm's ratings work is the formula calculates a team's overall rating based on who would win by using a formula called the Pythagorean calculation for expected winning percentage. And the inputs into that formula are the team's adjusted offensive and defensive efficiencies. The Pythagorean theorem is calculated to a team's chances of winning, and the adjusted offensive and defensive efficiencies predict what a final score should or will be. And the way luck is calculated is the formula takes the deviation in winning percentage between their actual record, that is how many games they've actually won and lost, compared to their expected record using basically a bell curve of their point distribution. A blog Ken Palm linked on the website gave this example, and I thought it was a really good and easy way to understand the way that luck is calculated. So I'm going to read it again. The predictive ability comes when applying the method to individual basketball teams, like the Suns. The Phoenix Suns won 59 games in 1994-95, but if you look at their offensive and defensive point distributions, they were estimated to only win 52. 
Such a large difference means Phoenix got a bit lucky to win those other seven games. It's normal for teams to have a difference of about four or five games, but seven is pretty large. Part of the Suns' difference is the fact that they were 4-1 and one in games decided by two points or less and 8-2 and two in games decided by three points or less, usually games that involve a bit of luck. What this implies for the 1995-96 season is that the Suns won't win as many as 59 games again. It's rare that teams get lucky two seasons in a row. Through games of November 27, 1995, the Suns are at a winning percentage of 500, well below their winning percentage of 720. The only other team with as large a difference between estimated win percentage and actual win percentage last season was the Los Angeles Lakers, which are also doing worse than they were last season. And for the record, the Suns finished exactly 500 that season. So I actually got to talk to Ken Pomeroy himself earlier this week, and I'll play you a little bit of that interview later. And what he told me about how luck is calculated is that it's only calculated after the buzzer, as in the formula only takes the final score and compares it to what the score was predicted to be. It doesn't take into account uh, it doesn't take into account the actual in-game events. In it doesn't weight different moments of the game as worth more or less in terms of luck. Uh, it doesn't go play by play in a game and calculate luck based on how many fortuitous bounces a team gets or if there are you know really good or really bad officiating calls that go in someone's favor. And it also factors in that in really close games, there's going to be a, a lot of luck involved in the outcome and in massive 20-point blowout wins, there's probably going to be significantly less luck. Uh, so, so far this year, NMSU has won five games by six points or less, which is almost half of their 11 wins. Granted, one of those wins was against UTEP and Las Cruces, and UTEP was down by like 17 late in the second half before a bunch of garbage time points, but they've still played close games. And when you look at how these games have unfolded, luck has definitely been a factor. NMSU just happened to get the last shot when Jabari Rice hit the game winner against UTEP and Nate Pryor hit a circus shot against New Mexico. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And then they had 26 turnovers and one against Loyola Marymount. And then they were down 18 at Washington State before they came back and stole their biggest win of the season. And I think there's something to the luck category. Yeah, NMSU is winning and they're 11-2, and two, but they could very, very easily be 6-7 and seven or 7-6 seven and six with a bunch of close losses in three or four of their rivalry games, a loss to Davidson, and losses to Loyola Marymount and Utah State and Washington State. And I think what this shows is when people talk about teams that like to grind it out and win a lot of close games, What's actually happening is there's a little bit of luck involved, even if you are the more skilled team. Now, I also wondered if this was just a one-off, really lucky year for NMSU. So I went back and flipped through NMSU's luck ratings over the last seven years, dating back to Paul Weir's one season in Las Cruces, and I found out that NMSU has really been a pretty lucky program in general, and here's what I mean. Including this season, the Aggies have been ranked in the top 80 in luck four of the last seven seasons and in the top 50 three of the last seven seasons. They were ranked 35th in 2017, 
79th in 2019, 42nd in 2020, and second this year. Last year during the pandemic, when it seemed like everything that could go wrong did go wrong for that team, they ranked 306th out of 358 teams. And in years they ranked higher in luck, you look at their schedule and you can see they actually won a lot of really close games. Now, the good news for NMSU is luck is about to be substantially less of a factor going forward the rest of the season because NMSU should be the favorite in probably 16 or 17 of the 18 games that they have in conference play. So they should be able to beat a lot of opponents based on skill alone, and they should be on track to win somewhere around 30-ish games when you include the games that they'll have in the WAC tournament. But I know a lot of you are probably thinking, well, you know, they've played a lot of close games earlier in the season, and they've won a lot of close games early in the season. So that means that they'll be better experienced and better prepared to handle close games later in the year because they've been in that position before and they're skilled and they're experienced and they've been through this. And I asked Ken Pomeroy about this idea that winning close games early prepares you to win close games late. Do you think that there are things like uh, player experience that can account for luck or helping you win uh, these really close games? Like, is there any truth to, um, you know, this kind of coach's belief uh, where, you know, you hear them say, well, we have veteran players, we've been in these kinds of really close games before, and we've found ways to win. Um, you know, is there is there any truth to, you know, playing a bunch of close games early in the season that means you might have success in close games later in the season? Uh, so I would say there is some skill in winning close games like it's not completely luck um there's some skill and some of the things you mentioned could be you know people will tell me oh you know you make you know a good free throw shooting team you'll win more close games you know there's there's other things that coaches will say because obviously people won a lot of close games you know, no coach is going to say well we were we were really lucky like they they want to believe they have some skill in those games so mm-hmm. But there's some skill, but you know, when I've looked at this in the past, I'll look at cases where like teams have won, you know, three or four of those games in a row or five or six or seven or whatever. And look at their winning percentage, like in future close games. And it's like less than 60%. Let's just say that, you know, it's like between 50 and 60%. So, so there's some skill, but it's, it's less than, than people generally think. Like you, you keep playing with fire in close games and, All right, it's time to welcome our next guest onto the show. He's a man who is very familiar with Christmas colors himself as he's played at Georgia and Austin P and now NMSU, who all like a little bit of Christmas red or crimson in their school colors. He's averaging just 3.1 points and 2.1 rebounds per game, but he has really established himself as one of Chris Jans' most valuable assets with his length and athleticism. Mike Peak, welcome on to the show. Hey, how you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. So, uh, Mike, first off, Merry Christmas. Are you a really big Christmas guy or not that much? Uh, yes, sir. My uh, brother's birthday is on Christmas, so I got to be in a good spirit around that time. Really? No kidding. What are you guys going to do for yeah. you? Um, I'm probably going to take him out just to see the lights. 
you know, none too too uh, crazy. Okay, so I've got to ask then, whenever you guys were growing up, like, how did that work for him? Did he get, like, double birthday and Christmas, like, all rolled up into one? Uh, almost every year, yeah. Uh, everybody would bring him some for his birthday and then a Christmas present. I know a lot of 10-year-olds right now who would be, like, absolutely insanely jealous to hear that. Yeah, that's how he's going to be turning uh, 12 this year, so. Oh, man, that is that is freaking awesome. Do you know what he's asking for for Christmas? Um, a lot of game stuff, stuff for his <laughs> game system. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so what are your plans for the holidays outside of that? Are you doing anything special? Um, yeah, I'm gonna go home for a few days, visit with some family, have some fun, you know. All right, so you personally, what are you asking for from Santa for Christmas this year? Um, a car. A car? You got anything <laughs> in specific in mind? Uh, not anything specific, something to get me to the gym and to the crib. Something that's gonna get you mobile. I like it, man. I like it. You can't be picky these days. Yes, sir. All right, so this is a basketball podcast, so I'm going to pivot a little bit to a basketball question, but I'm going to keep it in the Christmas spirit. If you could ask Santa for one thing and one thing only to give to the Aggies this year, what are you asking for? And it can be literally anything. It can be, uh, you know, better shooting, better performance on the court, uh, different uniforms, new basketballs, more gear, team chemistry, literally anything. Santa can provide it. So what are you going to ask for from Santa for Christmas and why? Um, I'll say team chemistry because in the locker room, it feels like, like everyone is good, knows each other, but on the court, it just feels a little, a little different, you know? Why, um, why do you think that is? I don't know. Maybe it's because, like, the game comes so fast. Some get caught up, some don't. You know. All right, yeah, so along those lines, uh, if uh, if Santa's handing out basketball gifts, what would you ask him for as far as your own personal game goes? What do you want him, what do you want him to make you instantly better at? You know, like flick of the wrist, like you're immediately better at something. What is that one thing that you wish you could improve on, like right away with Santa's help? My balance. Be off balance a lot on the court. Catch myself leaning over too far too far back man it's crazy so definitely balance for sure <laughs> all right well you definitely would have had me fooled and i think you would have had a lot of aggie fans fooled uh yeah i i definitely haven't noticed you as a clunky player on the court um i'm not i'm i'm not sure if maybe uh you know i, I wasn't looking at something right but uh <laughs> you, you've uh you've definitely uh i think you've definitely jumped off the radar with uh with some of your athleticism so i don't think balance is something that was coming to the forefront of people's minds <laughs> yes sir okay so uh you guys are now only a few days away from the start of conference play uh you guys have completely wrapped up non-conference play at this point uh so if you had to grade your season so far and you had to put a grade on NMSU's non-conference play, what grade would you give it? I'll give it a strong B plus. And, and I say that because uh, our defense can get a little better. Like We're good on the offensive end, but I, I can say our defense can definitely get a little better. 
where do you see the defense really needing to improve the most and how do you see that happening do you think that the, do you think that uh you know it's really just a communication thing do you think that it is like a mindset and like a physicality sort of thing like uh you know where specifically do you see the defense really needing to improve um in our, our ball screens um i don't think it's more of a, a physical thing I, I do think it's more of a communication thing because uh as fast as it comes in the game, you know, the different calls we have for different screens, it, it can scramble your brain a little. You might call out the wrong call. You might call out the right call. So it's really just communication. So in other words, nothing that you don't think can't just be fixed in practice. Like th- this isn't right. something where uh, you're going to have to strip away at the, you're going to have to strip away at the layers and you're going to have to get to the heart of the problem. It's really just more of a practice adjustment. Right. Okay, so uh, so thus far, we've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly from this team in non-conference play. You guys have had some really, really good wins. You've had some really ugly wins, and then you've uh, you've also had some bad losses as well. Uh, mm-hmm. But right now, where does NMSU need to take the biggest jump before conference play starts? Um, rebounding. Our rebounding needs to improve tremendously before conference play. Offense and defense with rebounding. Okay, and flip side of that, uh, what's something that NMSU is doing really well right now? What What's one area that you feel like you can point to and you can say, yeah, we are doing this thing really, really well. Like, this is definitely a strong point for us. Uh, scoring the ball in the paint, for sure. Uh, when, I feel like when we're around the rim, we're more liable to score than trying to force the outside three and then go inside. All right, well, I'm not going to take up too much more of your time here, and uh, I'm going to finish up with, with something slightly different. Uh, I've been asking all of your teammates what their favorite place to eat in Las Cruces is, uh, and I've gotten some really, really sad and wildly unhealthy responses. Uh, <laughs> so I am going to ask you instead what your favorite part of Christmas is. What do you like most about Christmas? I know you said you're a big Christmas guy. Um, just the atmosphere, you know, the lights, everyone's joyable, everyone's smiling. Like, how can you be sad around Christmas time? There's nothing but cheer around. So, and I'm a cheerful dude, so I like seeing stuff like that. All right, well, Mike, thank you so much for being on. Uh, definitely wishing you a very, very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, too. Uh, it's been great to cover you guys so far this season. Looking forward to talking to you in the near future. Yes, sir. Thank you. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year's to all. All right. Thanks a bunch, Mike. Okay, so lastly, guys, I'm going to go ahead and sneak a way out Wagner prediction in for the Aggies next game against Seattle, even though it isn't until December 30th, because this will be the final episode of the Aggie Wagon podcast of 2021. So we're going to go ahead and take a look at the Aggies conference opener at Seattle. The Red Hawks have had their share of drama this year in a year which should have been very promising for a team returning two all-conference guards from last year after their head coach was first placed on administrative leave and then resigned after allegations surfaced that he used a racial slur in a team scrimmage with the athletic director saying, quote, it is clear to me that Coach Hayford is no longer able to effectively lead the team and Chris Victor has stepped in as interim head coach. Seattle is 8-4 and four and has one common opponent with NMSU. The Red Hawks lost to Washington State by 18 in their second game of the year, and they've hovered around 200 in the Ken Palm rankings for most of the year, 
and Enemus, you should definitely win and will definitely win. I'm going with 75 to 68. Folks, that's it for Season 1, Episode 7 of the Aggie Wagon Podcast. Again, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. As always, be sure to leave a like if you enjoyed the podcast. You can follow the Lost Cruises Sun News' NMSU basketball coverage on our website. And you can follow me on Twitter at StephenWag22. That's Stephen with a PH. So until next time, I'll bid you folks farewell, happy trails, and Merry Christmas.